Okay, folks, welcome to the podcast. I am with Pat Murray, president of CCA National. Pat, uh, thank you for joining the podcast. We've been talking about this for a little bit and glad we're able to knock this thing out. So appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, uh, I definitely enjoy doing this podcast. Well, this is your second time to be a guest on on the podcast. And this, this time we're just going to drill down and focus a little more narrowly on a particular subject. So we're coming out uh, a little over a month now, a month and a week from the from the freeze of February 2021. And we we have some information in hand. We're waiting to gather and hear more information from Parks and Wildlife. And but it's it's a good time to talk about where we think the how we think the freeze is going to impact Texas um, and kind of where we go from here individually and organizationally. So Again, uh, thanks for doing this. I think this will be beneficial to a lot of a lot of members. So, I'm gonna real quick just go into and and hit the high points or or the low points, however you want to look at it, of Parks and Wildlife's report that they put out on March the 9th. They put out a news release and they also put out a, a white paper. So the news release kind of just touches on at a high level of what was impacted, and then the white paper goes into detail. And, and specifically how they determined the, the numbers that, that they counted. And then uh, they go by base system and they go by species of, of what was impacted. But we'll just look at, we'll just look at the, the high level from the press release to begin with. They estimated at least, so at a minimum, 3.8 million fish were killed. Of that, 9% were fish that we would consider recreationally important. And the number one species of that 9% was spotted sea trout, which they were almost half of that, of that 9%. And almost all, uh, I don't want to say almost all, but a vast majority of those fish came from the lower coast, lower Laguna Madre specifically. And so we know that, that trout took a, took a hit and we've seen fishing guides. We've seen recreational anglers. We've seen the recreational fishing community start to, realize that trout took a hit and and some came out really early on and and gave some conservation messages of how they're going to proceed moving forward this next year or into the foreseeable future and how they're going to participate in the fishery and uh, you know guides individuals organizations and so i wanted to just touch and, and on a couple of things one cca's response to your individual response and then kind of three organizationally um how we may have derived it where we've derived it but let's let's start with just you and your experience as a former fishing guide and somebody that's lived through previous events and 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 worked through those previous events as a fishing guide and and what you did then and and perhaps uh what you see going on right now you know that's uh i mean that's that's an interesting framework to discuss it in because um, I did guide in the wake of the 89 uh, freeze, got to see the before and after on a day-to-day basis. And, um, and it was bad. Um, I guided in Galveston Bay complex and we lost a lot of fish. We didn't see them um, at first other than the ones that were, we could see on the bottom in West Galveston Bay because water was so clear. Um, we thought we had escaped the freeze for quite a while and, um, and we didn't. Now, you know, 
this year and 89 are different things. Um, that one, you know, again, we saw the evidence south, um, but also there were fish caught, you know, afterward. There, there were good anecdotal reports coming in from, from down south. We were not having so many um, up here. But what's remarkable to me, so there's many things that I can see that are different now than then, but the most remarkable is something you touched on, which is the conservation ethic. Um, back then, I am uh, not proud to admit, but will admit, we went right after those fish. We knew where they were, and we went after them, catching them, and boxing them for customers for whatever. We weren't exceeding our limits, but that was not responsible. And um, particularly during the period where we didn't know what had happened yet. And um, I'll give us maybe even a little grace over the very start of it because we didn't think we'd lost our fish. And so we caught them in some traditional spots, figured that was limitless, and, um, and we were wrong. I am impressed. I know there's exceptions to this, but some of the conservation ethic among anglers and guides is really, um, it's really empowering to see folks come out and say they're going to run catch and release only trips for trout. Yeah. Tons of anglers saying they're not going to keep a trout this year. You know, and, and the impact of that is probably quite modest if you really want to get down to it. But the greater impact of that conservation ethic is priceless. And and what it will manifest in the coming decade, mm-hmm. not just the coming year, is where the real value is. Yes. I think I think you're right in that, you know, it's it's hard to see that that individually one person's actions can dramatically affect the trajectory of the fishery. But collectively and starting a momentum, a momentum moving mm-hmm. forward that could be passed on generationally, it can have tremendous, tremendous impacts. And so it's, it's, ref- it is refreshing to see the, the, a broad group of the recreational industry respond in the way that they yeah, have. Yeah, it really is. And, I, and you're right. It's the impact. Well, you know, there's a little organization called CCA that started with 14 people meeting in a tackle store and saying, we want to end gill netting. And look what it became right. and, and continues to become. And I think recreational anglers in Texas, and particularly speckled trout, ones that focus on speckled trout fishing, um, like myself, are, are looking at it differently. And, and, it, and it didn't happen because of the freeze. It's been an evolution through time. But this freeze brought this sort of tipping point where I think a lot of people are going to look at fishing. It's, it's just going to breed this, I think, a deeper level of conservation ethic yeah. on the individual level. You know, wow, I can, you know, it feels good to pledge this. And um, you and I were musing the other day. It was funny. So for a long time, I believed that the limit should be five trout. Back to when I was guiding. Some of that was was selfish, too, because I <laughs> thought it made more sense, you know, <laughs> um, than going out and, you know, boxing 40 like we yeah. you know, tried to do back then. Um, but I just kind of always was a keep five personally. I didn't go, you know go prescribe that a lot, but I just felt like that was a good number. And I used to muse that it was funny. Um, and of course this is all post guiding, um, is that, uh, only keeping five is easy until you catch the sixth one Mm -hmm. and it tests you. Um, and I think that's what some of this is to this conservation ethic. Um, you know, I I promised myself I wasn't going to keep a trout. I'm not imposing that on anyone. That is very personal. I just want to do that. That's going to make me feel good. Yeah. Um, we'll see how that goes for me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I trust myself, but, um, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll do it, but it's funny. It's going to feel different because uh, I enjoy eating trout. Yeah. And, uh, and so anyway. Yeah, no, and, and so I, I split hairs in saying that I would consider keeping a surf trout just because of, um, that's my thing that we like to do as yeah, a family, and yeah. it's going to be hard to turn one way. But 
I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, and, uh, I, I, I know that there's a, there's a, like I said, there's a broad community of anglers that are in the same boat as us, and, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we, as in our, in our work life, we're involved in, in some form or fashion in how the organization was going to message, um, our, 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 um, well, our message going forward. And one thing that, that I've noticed in my few years here at CCA is that nothing is ever knee jerk. Mm-hmm. Very true. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot of thought. Um, and there's a great deal of consternation and, mm-hmm. and input sought from multiple sources to, to, to come to a decision and to come to a, uh, a path forward. And so that process takes a little bit of time, but it's time well spent. Mm-hmm. And so why don't you speak to kind of our message um, moving forward in, in regards to, to this event? And uh, and then maybe if we have a moment, we could go uh, in, into another facet of CCA Texas. But for, for now, just the general focus of the organization going forward. Sure. Um, you're right. We don't make decisions quickly around here. Um our founder, Walter Fondren, used to have a great line, was if you want an answer today, it's no. Um, and and I think we've taken that approach because we are committee-driven, because you know we do get broad input, um, both from professionals within expertise within whatever that thing may be, and then also among the broad base of volunteers who have experience across the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing. Um, there's a lot of depth to where I think organizationally we are in that it's this subtle balance of making sure that people are respectful of the resource and, and the lack of knowledge we have about the state of the stock right now. You know, we have the, the quick assessment from Parks and Wildlife, but that's going to become clear as we, as we go into the GillNet surveys. And, and you, from your past work with Parks and Wildlife and also as a marine scientist, you could speak to that much more depthly than I can. Um, but you're balancing, okay, we've got to do the right things for conservation. Um, we we always had a strong catch and release ethic. Um, that's why we created the, the brand release sense, um, with our friends at A&M Corpus Christi Heart Research Institute in Shimano. Um, but also people need to keep fishing. That's the, the, you know, the, yeah. the greatest threat to our resources would be people not fishing. And, um, and I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but there's challenges out there from those who don't want people recreationally fishing. And so we always, we're always very cognizant of that. You know, making sure that we're, you know, doing the right things for the health and conservation of our coastal resources, but also um, anglers' access to them. That's actually our vision statement. Mm-hmm. And so it's this really important but very complex approach. And, um, and also, we're science-driven. You know, so we've got to see more and more science. Um, we're fortunate in the state of Texas. We have a very good Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. Yeah. Um, we're spoiled, to be honest with you, as one who travels in a lot of states, uh, coastal states, and sees other um, departments of natural resources. Um, there's some good ones, and there are some bad ones. And there are some that do not value recreational fishing and the impact recreational um, anglers can make. And because it's transformative when, when they do. Um, look at the hatcheries in Texas. Mm-hmm. Look at the habitat program. Look at all these things that are going to help us recover from this freeze, no matter how significant. We're going to recover much more quickly 
And and when you were mentioning the, the fish guiding days, I mean, when when '89 hit, you know, we didn't have the hatchery production we do now. You know, we didn't have a lot of the things we do now. Um, and, and and a five fish limit. I mean, all of those things will help us recover more quickly. And it's anglers who have driven it. Yeah, yeah. It's we we really have never been more well positioned to enter into whether one you want to call it a significant event or whatever, you know, that's, I guess, up for debate as to the level of the significance, but it was a major event on the Texas coast that killed a lot of fish, but we've never been more prepared for this because as you mentioned, we, we have a robust uh, habitat program and not just us, but we have a lot of partners up and down the coast that we partner with for these projects. Our hatchery system is firing on all cylinders absolutely and they are game on ready to go ready to produce and it's funny i just got off the phone with david abrego who's the facility director at sea center texas and 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 he was just making the comments about how he's hearing from from in, in individuals that oh, well the pressure's on the pressure's on the pressure's not on really yeah you just do what you've always done yeah and yeah, you're gonna yeah. be you're gonna be heroes because Every year they're producing twenty-five to thirty million fingerlings. Yeah, you know, yeah. at least ten million of those uh, historically have been spotted sea trout. So these guys are brood tanks are full. Fish are starting to spawn right now, and so they're ready to rock and roll. And and couple all of that with our individual actions that will have a collective uh, benefit to the coast and and our rebound instead of taking three years like it took in the in the 80s might only take two years you know we'll have to wait and see but Absolutely. we're gonna have a positive impact for sure you're, you're so right and it's also made anglers the one thing about when somebody all of a sudden becomes aware they can be a part of conservation they're forever changed and and that change that happens in them manifests in generally in action be it personally saying i'm gonna you know address my my fishing in a different way or saying I'm going to get involved with a CCA chapter and I'm really going to, you know, get very focused and, and help raise money or or helping out at a hatch or anything. And, but what's interesting is the things that make a difference, you know, everyone freaks out when they see these pictures from all up and down the coast, me included. I mean, that was a miserable few days when, I mean, every time your phone buzzed, you're thinking, oh, no, and you're seeing these resources you treasure so much um, that have been impacted. Uh, again, no matter what degree um, you think it to be at that point, and and what was the one thing that was comforting in that was just what you spoke to is the things that make a difference in the wake of a disaster like that are the things that you've been building for decades. You don't just go fab up a hatchery. You don't just work up a habitat program and start dropping shells in the bay. You have to have been doing it. And and fortunately, CCA and other groups, like you say, I mean, I could go on and on listing different acronyms. Um, we're really fortunate in this state to have. Um, a really great, cohesive, almost loose coalition of folks in habitat yeah. and, and in conservation. And um, and our, our, our waters will benefit from it. Well, it, it, it you know, so our message really hasn't, hasn't changed, yeah. but we had a lot of eyes looking at us to say, okay, what are you going to do? Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, we're going to keep doing what, we, what, we've, what we've always done is, you know, su- support, support coastal habitat restoration and, and hatcheries. But also we've made some changes uh, within the organization, within CCA Texas, because we, we have an, a, an event that has a lot of eyes on it. And a lot of people are looking at us for, mm-hmm. for, you know, to be the leaders in conservation. And so let's take a moment to speak about Star Tournament. And, and in all fairness to the Star Tournament, I, I want to get them on this program mm-hmm. prior to the beginning of the tournament so they can go over 
details, so we don't need to do that now. But uh, let's speak in, in general to where the star tournament has landed and and how the the how they'll approach it this year. You bet. Um, and I'm going to sort of run into the assumption that most listeners have some familiarity with the tournament um, that runs from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Um, I think your idea of having the star um, staff and leadership um, on the on the podcast would be really smart because yeah. um, some of the details are. Well, not some. Many of the details are still getting hashed out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really want to compliment their volunteer leadership and their staff leadership um, for making hard decisions um, in a short window. And, and they went to an all-catch-and-release inshore format, um, which I, it was undoubtedly the right thing to do. Yeah. And uh, even with a um, – and I kind of like this, the phrase they came up with, with a clip-and-claim um, approach to the traditional tagged redfish, um, there's going to be – you know, bigger and better prizes. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think they're technically going to have more prizes. And um, and in a neat way, they opened up the tournament, I believe, to more people in doing this format. Now, granted, they eliminated some categories um, of some of these species that, that undoubtedly were impacted. Yeah. And in some areas were undoubtedly significantly impacted. Um, but, you know, the great thing about redfish is, number one, they're a durable species. But number two, you can kind of catch them they're they're the all-terrain vehicle of inshore fishing you know you can catch them off a jetty a pier a beachfront a middle of the bay oyster reef to a you know galveston state park you know you can catch them everywhere yeah and um and a tagged one can be anywhere and um and so they did that and and are still working through the way the rules and regs work which is complex and Mm -hmm. they left offshore the same they're adding actually a surprise mystery category so a new to be released uh uh, revealed soon yeah a new guest on the uh on the old roster for the for the (laughs) tournament and um which is kind of exciting and and but again it was the organization and i mean the organization you know it was there was a lot of input from a lot of people on a lot of levels and and they made the the right and the hard decision to go with this um with this approach with this all release approach and the and the the initial decision and, and or where the committee landed that discussion was actually being had before the official numbers were Correct. Were, were ever released and i think that's important because People can look at the report from Parks and Wildlife and then look at the previous years and say, oh, hey, everything is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. that bad of a deal. But we never really know, to your point that you made, uh, until we get data, true data, points on the graph from Parks and Wildlife, in a, you know, with the gill nets, with the bay trolls, the back sings, things of that nature, then the impacts will, will be revealed. Creel surveys, as we go through the fishing season this summer, that's going to be extremely important to because the fish we have left are what people are hammering on right now. So, no doubt, you know that there there could be some impacts there that that we don't see until June, mm-hmm. July, mm-hmm. August. So, um, but anyway, I think it's important to to make that point that the Star Committee made some really tough decisions before any we you know we we had the before we had this initial picture of mm-hmm. what the what the event was. So, now that kudos to them. That was not a easy decision but they i think they landed in the right spot i do too i mean they put the resource first but then still kept the tournament intact that's the beauty yeah. you know is that getting back to that thing we were talking about early on is that you know it it's keeping people fishing it's getting kids involved with fishing it's doing all the right things and yet adapting to a potential environmental you know impact and and you're right that to make that decision 
um, and err on the side of conservation. That's one of the real fundamental principles of the organization all the way back to its earliest framers was was erring on that side of conservation. And that's that's really what they did. And, yeah. and, and so a, a no retention inshore and, you know, again, eliminating a number of these categories, um, you know, that's not easy. And, and you know you're not going to, you know, you're going to disappoint some folks there. Um, but it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and again, I just, I really compliment all of them for, for making that hard decision and, and, and reaching it thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. This is not something that, you know, was handled over a couple of emails. You know, <laughs> this is a, this is after, after 30 years of a tournament, that was a, uh, you know, a really transformative thing. And, um, and it was the first real, the, the tournament kicked off right around the time of the 89 freeze, you know, it was right after that. Yeah. And so, um, this was the first, you know, there's been little freezes along the way. Um, and, and some of those even had pretty significant impacts in certain areas. They'd be right. You know, right. I mean, some of them were bad in, yeah. in East Magorda and, you know, in the lower Laguna, various places. Um, and, but this is the, the first time more, a more holistic, um, freeze, um, has sort of gripped the tournament. Um, forgive the imagery at, um, I, again, I think it speaks to the character of a lot of the folks that help make those decisions, and I mm-hmm. applaud them. Yeah, it, it's it's what thirty one years. Yeah, right. I, I think I believe so. I believe uh, so. Of of having a format relatively the same way, yeah. and then shifting completely to a different format. But like you said, thank God for those red fish. I mean, yeah, and it's it's. Um, personally happy that we got to keep redfish and it's such a durable you know based on uh, my experience of handling them for so many years at the hatchery there's such a durable species i mean even a lot of fish handle well with catch and release but the redfish are really hard to to kill yeah um and and clipping the tag and letting that fish go you're gonna you know its chances of survival are extremely high so no one should feel bad about uh letting that redfish go because he's going to go on to do bigger and better things yeah. but the tag is the prize not yeah. the fish yeah. and i think that that's the message that we send forward with this format and yeah, I agree. so I agree. it's going to be fun to see people revealing you know showing that tag yeah. instead yeah. of uh and showing the picture of that fish being released instead yeah. of having that you know dead fish or whatever so. it's pretty cool i mean it really is and yeah. it's uh it's it's a neat way to you know in 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 the challenges that come from a freeze it's it's amazing the 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 beautiful things grow out of it and there's a lot of corny symbolism there but just look around your neighborhood and look at these flowers and stuff and green shoots emerging and um i think you're going to see the same thing here you're yeah. going to see it manifest more on a conservation level for people because um, think about all these new people to fishing, you know, that the, the pandemic of 2020 um, and beyond, um, it, it, it brought more people to fishing. Um, so we have a lot of new um, guys and gals that are fishing and they, uh, you know, ironically get hit with a freeze right afterward. Um, and so it's, it's things to keep people involved in fishing that are really going to matter if fishing gets slow. You know, anecdotally now we're all hearing stories. Anybody... Um, who's an angler is hearing stories from friends, guides, family, um, all of the above. Um, you and I are are blessed to be surrounded by a lot of those mm-hmm. and get a lot of input, input from them. And it's kind of all over the map. I can't draw a straight line right now on it. You know, some people more fish, some people less fish. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, it's uh, you definitely see some differences regionally for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see good reports up here. Galveston, Sabine, West Matagorda. Uh, mixed reports, East Matagorda. As you go south, 
it's for me what i've seen is it's fairly consistent yeah they're finding pockets of fish seeing a lot of smaller fish um and then some guys are just completely shifting their focus like okay we there's probably trout out here we're not going to go for trout yeah we're doing interesting? black drum we're doing red drum isn't that interesting they're just laying off of the fish yeah. altogether. yeah it's remarkable and i mean that's one of those um you know that's that's one of those green shoots that's that right. that's that flower right. that's going to pop out of there is this this and it's not a new respect. I, I keep finding myself seeing a new respect for the resource. It, it's just like our hatcheries. They don't, you don't grow those overnight. And so the, the flower of that sort of conservation ethic has been building and it's been building for decades, but it's really going to manifest and particularly hopefully with some of these newer folks to angling or the ones who returned to angling after being away from it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where things, you know, people often criticize tournaments because there's so many and they, you know, it's putting more boats on the water. It's putting more pressure on the fish. I get that. I definitely understand that. But again, it's having those anglers there is the reason the resources are so good. Right. And I never forget my mentor and guiding David Wright, the late David Wright, who um, was not only a gifted angler but was had amazing vision. And I remember as a young guide, um, fussing, whining um, to him about getting run over and all the people and the whatever. And he shook his crusty finger at me and said, you better hope you always get run over. He said, because if you and I are the only ones out there, we're not only out of business, but the resource is out of business. And I was like, dang, yeah. I've never forgot that. It's definitely a, a user pay situation. And, and we, yeah, we, we want people to fish. We know collectively, you know, we can have some, some significant impacts to a fishery if we don't take care of it. So that's our message, right, yeah, is, to, yeah. is to do what we can to protect that, conserve and protect that resource so we can do it again tomorrow and our kids can do it again uh, as they grow up into the fishery. You also had another guide give you a little piece of advice, and you're going to tease that out coming up here in the April edition oh, of Tide yeah, Magazine. Yeah. I wondered where you were going yeah, there. Yeah, you didn't know where I was. <laughs> I <laughs> didn't. I was thinking, oh, no, so, what was it? Yeah, no. Um, what did Plog's uh, father say? Yeah, so, so uh, current time Galveston Bay, well, he fishes beyond Galveston Bay, but um, Texas Coastal Bay guide, um, Captain James Plog, um, very gifted angler. Um, his dad, um, Cullen, who, who's deceased, but um, had a great way of putting things. And I don't know if he came up with this expression. And and to be perfectly honest with you, I don't care because it's so awesome. And I write about it um, for the upcoming Tide magazine. Um, that again, hopefully everyone who's listening is a member so they get that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were discussing um, a, a, a business quandary. And, he's, and he looked at me and said, man, if you're going to be a fly, be a big green one. And, um, and that, too, always stuck with me. It, it, it applies in, in business, in life, in relationships, in anything you want it, is, is be a big green fly. And, and I write in this article, I think that's one of the things we're going to see come from this freeze, is people who were maybe a little interested in conservation, who, and I, I promise I'm going somewhere with this, who were thinking that, uh, you know, maybe I can make a difference, maybe I should get involved, maybe I should do this, and they're going to see the need. And they're going to see these resources that they either are new to or they return to or they just beloved. And they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to do the right thing for the resource. Again, be it volunteering for a nonprofit, be it, um, you know, just doing different things in conservation, helping mm-hmm. out with a beach cleanup, whatever it could be. Um, I think we're going to get a lot of big green flies. And, and I'm excited about that. Yeah. I, and so to that point, it, you know, we, we've held we've had a, a few events this year and the energy and I haven't been to one. This is just talking to the assistant directors around the hallway and mm-hmm. offices here. 
they said it's phenomenal the energy that's in and that's that's going around in their meetings and in their banquets and people are turning out and they want to do what they can to help another example uh, a fairly new friend of mine he uh, just recently has uh, purchased within the last year purchased a home in rockport they're doing a lot of work on that home he heard about cca through me he became uh, it read an article and immediately after the freeze became a life member yeah, he's like i want to do what i can to yeah help. yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, i appreciate love what you guys do love what you're about want to do what i can i signed up to be a life member yeah that's strong and it that's i think we've got a lot of that going on yeah i and think i think you see it yeah there's gonna be people who have a, a new understanding for the need of habitat new understanding for the need of hatcheries and an under deeper understanding of the need for good management yeah. because you really got to have all of the above and and what management does in terms of parks and wildlife, I can't say. Uh, science will drive that. Yeah. Um, but in the end, the fact that our resources were so incredibly strong going into this freeze, which is undeniably true, and I know you as a marine biologist can speak to that. And, um, and, and so that, number one, good thing, uh, there were more fish in the water, so in theory more of them survived, mm -hmm. hopefully, in the areas where they do survive and thrive in cold conditions. Um, but it also shows where we got. I mean, the amount of pressure that's been on these bays and the fact that we, and I mean our species, got to that point in terms of managing this precious resource is really empowering and really tells me that the future is quite bright for recreational angling um, in general, but in Texas in particular. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we're, we'll have a year or two that don't look like last year looked, mm -hmm. but we'll get back. To where, where we were last year. A absolutely. Because, I mean, again, having seen what 89 did to the Galveston Bay Complex, and it took a little while, but but it didn't take that long and to get really good again. And and that was without the resources, some of the resources that we have now. Um, yeah. And um, and expectations were different then, too. You know, I say it got good. Well, I'm framing that it got good thing by the young fishing guide mind that I had at the time. Um, now people look at fishing a little differently. And... Um, I'll just criticize myself is that um, they look at it more in a more sophisticated fashion than, than I did probably back then mm -hmm. in terms of the resource and where, where they value it. And, um, and I see that throughout the U S I mean, that's not just in any one region, you know, I mean, there's always good players and bad players everywhere, but the people's understanding and respect for the resource is it's been really encouraging um, throughout all of, I, I see it through all of our chapters, but, but just recreational anglers in general. Um, it, it really gives you hope for yeah. a strong future. Now, did you, back in, back in the eighties, you know, you said you didn't have too much trouble finding fish and you always wanted to keep five. You were already at five anyways. You never hardly um, kept more, but did you, did you see, did it become, did you have to work harder and did you talk to your clients about the expectations going into those trips no well i didn't i we kept we kept 10 back then okay. i just believe they should change it to five but oh, gotcha. yeah no i was uh, i was as piggish as anybody <laughs> and um and and i'm you know it's funny i look at the pictures um goodness gracious there's some in my first book of back when stringer shots weren't weren't bad mm -hmm. and um oh my gosh some of the fish we strung up but we didn't think about it. It wasn't, it was a different ethic. And that's, I'm not, you know, 
defending us or um I just always thought it should be five because it didn't make sense to me. And maybe that was so many times that we were fortunate enough to catch 30 or 40 or whatever. And you'd clean that mess, and it was ridiculous. I mean, it was ridiculous to think about it now. And, um, and, and, and you know, I, I was blessed to have a wonderful clientele. I had some people who, who didn't keep fish. I had people who kept very few fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but we did kill many, many a fish. And I, and I know it's hard for guides now um, who – are trying to get that catch and release ethic. Well, know? that's why I was, while I was going there. I was wondering if, if, if you, if, if that event impacted your business at mm-hmm. that, at that point, or did you squeak by or, and how'd you do it? Because like you just said, there's guides that have committed or are trying to do more catch what you eat or catch and release trips. And I'm wondering how that's affecting them. Yeah. No, I know it's, it's I think it's tough on some of them yeah. because you know, um, cause fishing has been robust and so people are used to keeping fish. Um, but like you said, you can kind of focus on different species. Um, the, the, the thing that was really scary after 89 was the amount of people that quit fishing. Um, that I, I can't say I would have predicted necessarily makes a lot of sense now. Um, I don't think we'll see that this time like that, but it went from really strong fishing to really tough fishing. And a lot of people, good fishermen, I mean, folks that were experienced, um, set down their rods for a while. Yeah. Um, that's the thing back to what sort of, I guess, thematically we've been talking through all this. Those are the thing that's the greatest threat to this resource. Um, more so than the freeze itself is the human reaction to it. And if it makes people not want to stay focused on the resource and, you know, not go down to Rockport and go fishing and not, you know, it's way beyond the CCA piece of it. Is, oh, it trickles up through it's, all the coastal It really economies. does. And, and, and the conservation that comes out of it, I mean, I just can't say enough. I mean, you think about, and I'll just frame it in Texas because that's sort of what we're talking about, but the conservation victories that have been won in this state, in these state waters, um, have all been driven by recreational anglers. I mean, they are the motivating force behind it and then partnering with a good Parks and Wildlife Department um, and other good partners, other good partner groups. And, and um, it's, you want more of those, not less. You want yeah. more recreational anglers. And I know sometimes that sounds weird to people because they're like, oh, my God, I'm getting run over every day. And, you know, we all saw it last year. If you fished, the crowds were huge. Um, yes, I get it. And just like you acknowledged, you know, there's an impact. Um, there could be a frustration impact. Um, but we need anglers involved because when they're not there, then somebody else is, mm-hmm. and and usually it's not someone who has those kind of interests. Well, maybe our newfound, or maybe not newfound, but some people's newfound respect for the resource will also extend into a respect for other boaters or other anglers yeah. and how they treat each other on the water. At least yeah. that's that 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 may be naive, but at least that's a hope that I have. Well, I like it. I mean, I think it's good thought. Um, <laughs> And like I said, I mean, just to see, I mean, when I'm telling you we strung up fish after that freeze, I mean, we didn't bat an eye at it. Um, and we were not evil people. You know, we cared about the resource. I mean, I donated trips to CCA back then, uh, you know, GCCA back then. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just didn't think a, a bit about it, you know. And that, and that's that's okay. I mean, because the, the, the limits were the limits, and you just figured you'd just stay in there. But even just philosophically now i think a lot of people look at the things differently and um i mean there was a time people would take their their metal clasp stringer and clip up a bunch of largemouth bass and, that's right you, and i mean yeah. and 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 i'm not at all condemning them for doing that i mean virtual ward 
I still remember my Virgil Ward fishing book. In the back of it had him doing a stringer shot with bass. I mean, that's unthinkable now. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think we'll ever get there with trout and redfish, and I don't think we need to get there with that. I don't think we need to be adverse to keeping fish. Um, but there was a, a great leader for CCA um, many years ago named Fred Miller in Louisiana. And, um, and he would always, he had, a, had kind of an artful term for it. He called it a voluntary restraint. And um, at that time, there was a lot of big fish being caught, uh, big speckled trout being caught in uh, Lake Calcasieu. And he wrote a piece uh, for Tide Magazine called Voluntary Restraint. And he framed it around his experience around uh, years of duck hunting yeah. and some of the ethic that exists there, too. And again, I, I mean, we're right there. Saltwater fishermen are right there. I don't think we've always been there. Um, some because our fish are really good to eat. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Not criticizing ducks nor largemouth bass but come on <laughs> you know <laughs> our fish are really tasty that's yeah. that's why yeah. we have you know well we had to fight off gill netting and what have you and um but it's that voluntary restraint is the priceless thing and again not because of the resource it preserves um and conserves but the many collaterals that come from the person who's willing to do that yeah that's timeless well and that's an important piece to educate this the all these new anglers like you mentioned 20 we, 24 25 percent increase in saltwater license sales last year so incredible so, so incredible. you know that's an important piece of that conversation is to make sure that they're brought up to, to speed if you will mm-hmm. on um, um, conservation efforts whether that's through cca or you know with other groups yeah so. yeah well and, and that's the thing an event like this does it reminds you um you know it's the it's the health scare that happens to a person that gets into fitness it's those kind of things it's a freeze that makes people go wow this resource is fleeting I can, it's that ephemeral and, and boy, I caught a lot of fish last year or boy, I got into fishing and had a couple great trips or whatever it is. And they see, wow, that could become under threat. And yet they loved it. It became a lifestyle maybe even. And, um, man, that's a good ally for resources when you have one of those, um, some fresh legs in the conservation race. Mm -hmm. Um, gets me excited. So here's a call to all these, all listeners. If you haven't got involved in a, your chapter's board or involved in a chapter, um, now's now's a good opportunity to. It's a great we're always time. looking for new blood uh, yep. in yep. the local chapters. It's a great time. It's a great. I mean, there's, and and join something. I always say that to people. Join something. I, I of course am biased as you are towards CCA, but just there's many groups doing good things for conservation, and it matters. Yep. And um and be a part of something because then you're being a part of the future, and um and being part of a future is a pretty good thing to be a part of. That's right. Pat, I appreciate it. Do you have any? last cast final thoughts you want to throw out there no I mean, what I th- you just did is a pretty good one to end on but well i think we hit i think we hit the points that we probably you know wanted to wander into and um and i appreciate you doing this podcast honestly this is an important thing in terms of you know getting people a glimpse into all sorts of topics and particularly coastal advocacy and and coastal marine science and um and i think these things like these podcasts are an important part of this equation so i I can end it by thanking you for, for doing this and bringing on the great guests you do and, and uh, keeping that, that momentum going. I right, appreciate it, Pat. Thank you. All right, people, this is Shane jumping back in here. I have some updated information to add to this episode. Pat and I finished this podcast yesterday at around 3.30 p.m., and here it is, 12 p.m. the following day. Parks and Wildlife Commission met this morning, and on the agenda was the discussion of the Texas freeze, and they gave consideration to emergency actions as a result of the freeze. And what they landed on will take effect likely 1st of April, 
and will be in effect for 120 days with the possible extension of an additional 60 days. So it could be 180 day rule change. And this rule change will be effective for spotted sea trout in the lower Laguna Madre Bay systems and the adjacent beachfronts. So from Packery Channel all the way to the Rio Grande on the beach side and from the GFK Causeway to all points south on the bay side. So there'll be a reduction in fish in speckled sea trout from five to three and there will be a slot size the minimum size is 17 inches the maximum size is 23 inches there will be no exception for a speckled trout over 25 inches in those base systems so you could only keep three and they have to be from 17 to 23 inches and as i mentioned this rule changes in effect for 120 days they project that this action will increase the spawning stock biomass by 27% to help the stocks rebound. And they'll revisit all of this information as the gillnet data comes in and they're able to better determine the impacts of the freeze and, and, and make an educated decision at that point in time. Right now, this, this rule change will help our spotted sea trout stocks. And as, as Pat and I discussed at length on this episode of the podcast, we all have things that we could do individually to have an overall collective impact and we're seeing the department step up and do something at their level so let's all continue to work together let's all help our fishery rebound in an expedited manner and let's all keep fishing all right folks that's all for this time Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast appreciate all of your support and go fish